Hi, friends. I hope you're well. I have missed you. So I think the way forward for I'd rather be reading is instead of having seasons with content coming out every week, we'll instead have episodes that either feature a new book I absolutely have to cover, or it'll be like today, where something newsy happened over the weekend or yesterday or something, and there's an author I think can help us break down a current headline. So in today's case, I want to talk about Coach Mike Krzyzewski, who after 42 years as head coach at Duke, coached his last game for the Blue Devils last Saturday. Duke had made it to the Final Four and, of all teams, had to get through fierce rival North Carolina to get to the championship game. Ultimately, after such a hard-fought game, the UNC Tar Heels emerged victorious with a score of 81-77. to And the fact that Coach K lost to UNC of all teams in the Final Four, no less, for his last game, y'all, it hurt my heart. It hurt my heart. I'm still thinking about Coach K's face, even though my alma mater, Kansas, went on to win the national championship on Monday. Gotta throw in a rock chalk here, by the way. Coach K has been on my mind so much this week that I reached out to the expert on the subject, Ian O'Connor, whose book Coach K, The Rise and Reign of Mike Krzyzewski came out in February. So a little about Ian. This is his fifth book. He's covered the NFL, the MLB, the PGA, and high school basketball in his previous books, which have been New York Times bestsellers basically across the board. Ian is an extremely well-respected and well-regarded sports writer. He's been a columnist for ESPN.com, the New York Daily News, and USA Today. He is currently a sports columnist at the New York Post. And who's Coach K? If you know even a little bit about college hoops, you know this man. He's built a literal empire at Duke, winning five national titles, securing his spot as the NCAA's all-time leader in victories with over 1,200 Ws, and he's the first man to lead Team USA to three Olympic basketball gold medals. When I think of the impact he's had on the game, it blows my mind. And shockingly, there's never been a defining portrait of this legend until now, until Ian's book. Simply put, this man is one of the greatest college basketball coaches of all time. So let's dig into it with Ian O'Connor. Ian, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today, especially on such short notice. I believe we find you in the most idyllic of settings, right? Yeah, idyllic, except it's been raining the last two days, including today. So <laughs> it's been, tell us where you it's are. been a little. I know where you are, but tell our listeners where you are. I am at Augusta National, the home of the Masters, which uh-huh. is uh, probably it's one of the more beautiful places I've visited, certainly in a, in a sports context. And if I had to give up every credential I've had over 36 years of events I've covered, this is the one I would keep. Absolutely. And that, that's part of the reason the beauty of the arena is, is pretty profound. Well, and I feel I fear that you will get more rain because I'm sitting here in Birmingham. And so we're getting rain today and it's coming right towards you. So stay dry over there. And how beautiful. Um, So I mentioned this to you over email. And by this point, I will have expounded on this in the introduction to our interview. But I'm still really bothered for some reason by Duke's loss to North Carolina on Saturday in the final four, which was, of course, the last game of Coach Mike Krzyzewski's 42 year career at Duke. For context, I'm 35 years old, so I've never known life without Coach K at Duke. 
I don't know why this loss to UNC for the second time this season, I might add. And the fact that Coach K's last game was a loss to the Tar Heels of all teams is still bothering me four days later, especially since my own team, Kansas, just won the national championship. I'm, I'm not even a Duke fan. So is Coach K's final game on Saturday still bothering you too? And if so, why is that? No, it isn't because it was a great game. And I think it was a worthy final chapter to his career. Uh, actually, I think I would have been bothered if he had lost in the NIT or if there was some unworthy sort of ending to, to an epic and iconic career. But I think losing to his blood rival in the final four, the first time North Carolina and Duke had ever met in the NCAA tournament, which is hard to believe. Really? I, I didn't know that. Yeah, that is. And they they had played many hundreds of times. And that's the first time in the NCAA tournament. And so because it was a classic heavyweight fight, and I guess the Hollywood ending is he wins that fight and then wins the national championship game. Although since you're a Kansas uh, fan, I don't think you would agree with that. We didn't want that. I didn't want it to go that far. We could have knocked him out in the turn in the final game, but not to North Carolina. Well, in some ways, it was his first loss as a Duke coach to North Carolina, Dean Smith. And in some ways, it was appropriate. It was the school that when he started out at Duke 42 years ago, he was trying to beat. He was trying to chase. He was trying to earn Dean Smith's respect, the legendary coach at, at North Carolina. And so in some ways, it was fitting that he went out that way and still fighting. And listen, at the, at the end of the day, he has five national championships, which is the combined total of Dean Smith and Roy Williams, the two great North Carolina coaches. He, he retires with a winning record, albeit barely against North Carolina. And so I think he can live with that. And his legacy is yeah. intact, more than 1,200 victories. So as painful as it was to lose in the final four to anyone and not go out the way John Wooden did, John Wooden, of course, the, the great UCLA coach whose last right. game was his 10th national championship, that hurts. But I think it would have hurt more if it was an unworthy game and ending and he did not get that. So at least he it was a classic game and, yeah. and he went out that way. Oh, and he and they fought like hell. They fought like hell. So you mentioned, you know, that you would see in Duke are blood rivals for those listeners that maybe they're just not into college basketball. I can't imagine life without it. But for those listeners that may not know, can you just kind of briefly explain that deep and passionate hatred that exists between those two schools? Well, you can compare it to the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox and, and the hatred that exists between those fan bases and, and franchises. But it's actually worse because there is at least some distance between New York and Boston. There's no distance between no Chapel distance. Hill mm -hmm. and Durham. And you have to live, the losing fan base has to live with severe consequences because you're in the same schools, stores, banks, and everything else as, as the winning fan base. You're, you're, you're literally living with these people. What so is it, it's 10, 10, 15 miles between the two schools? Between the two campuses is nine miles. Yeah. And so there's just a lot of interaction. And so that's why the loser in a final four game, and they almost played in the national championship game in 91. That's the closest they ever came to something like this. And I remember being there in Indianapolis in 91, and both fan bases feared that possibility. They did not look forward to it. And I think there was some of that dread and, and trepidation about this game. And unfortunately, Duke's on the wrong side of it. But they have to live with the consequences of this defeat forever. Mm -hmm. And that's a pretty powerful thing. 
Yeah. And in your book is Coach K, The Rise and Reign of Mike Krzyzewski. It's your fifth book and your first foray into covering college basketball. I know you've written a book about high school basketball in a book anyway, although I'm sure, of course, you've covered it broadly in outlets you've written for like ESPN.com and The Post. So, you know, you've written about Derek Jeter, Bill Belichick, Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas. Why choose in your next book or in your current book rather to zoom in on Coach K? I've always been uh, fascinated by him and the way he built that program. In fact, he never should have gotten that job in the first place. He was hired in 1980. His record at Army was 9-17. and 17. Mm. So to, to have, have an athletic director in the ACC, you can never imagine that happening today, hiring a 9-17 and 17 guy, nobody could who pronounce his name or spell it. And, and then three years in, every, the alums, the boosters, the students, the faculty, they all wanted him fired. And while Dean Smith and Jim Valvano at North Carolina State were winning national titles in 82 and 83, Mike was losing at home to Wagner. So everybody wanted him gone. And somehow he survived it and then built one of the greatest dynasties in the history of college sports. So I was there for his, arguably his greatest moment. Maybe the UNLV victory in, at the Final Four in 91 is his greatest moment. But when Christian Leitner made the famous shot in 92 in Philadelphia to beat Kentucky in that classic game, I was sitting courtside. Wow. And since that night and his ability with 2.1 seconds left in a huddle when his players thought the season was over to convince them that they could pull it off and still win. Uh, I, I've just been really intrigued by his methods. And and so it took me 30 years later, I guess, to publish a book on him. But that was the that was the first seed that night in Philadelphia for probably the the most I would say the most memorable shot in the history of the sport. Yeah. And, that, and after we get off of the zoom, I'm going to have to go YouTube that because you're right. I, I can see it in my mind, but you know, coach K, as I said, has been a part of the college basketball universe since before I was born. I don't know college basketball without him. He became head coach at Duke in 1980, as you said. So as you were researching this book, what surprised you the most? Because he's a public figure. Um, although granted, I don't really know that much about the man outside of what I've read in your book. So what surprised you the most about him as you were researching? Well, first of all, just this is going back because this wasn't for book research, but just covering him some over the years as a columnist. In 1999, I sat behind his bench directly behind, behind him for the first time. And he is the most profane coach I've ever been around in 36 really? years. Yeah. And a lot of people are surprised by that. That does so, surprise me. Yeah. And people who sit there for the first time, they have the same reaction. Yeah, for two hours and 15 minutes, it was extreme profanity directed at the referees, at players, at his assistant coaches even. And that blew me away. So I, I remember saying to myself, there are a lot of grandmothers in America who love this guy. If they ever sat near his bench, they'd have a different feeling about him. I think so, him is pretty squeaky clean, honestly. Yeah, and profanity. I curse too. I shouldn't, I guess, I mean, but I, I, I do. So I wasn't all the time. I wasn't I wasn't offended by it, but it was it was it was more just surprising mm -hmm. the, the volume of it and, and just how relentless it was. But I would say in, in the book research, Duke is known as sort of the last shining city on top of a largely corrupt hill. That is the enterprise of major college sports. And whether that matches up 100 percent with reality or, or is a little bit perception, so be it. But I asked a lot of players who were with him over the years how important that was to him, that image. And to a man, they all said, it's, it's a nice thing to have, but it is a total sidebar to him. All he cares about is beating you. He wakes up in the morning. His goal is to finish ahead of you at the end of the day, whoever you are, whoever he views as his opponent for that day. It could be a team, 
a coach, an administrator, a reporter, uh, a radio talk show host. He's trying to finish ahead of you at the end of the day. And every single player I asked about the image of Duke and the image of Coach K, they said it's just a nice sidebar for him. Everything is just beating you. So that was a little surprising to, to find that out. So you describe Coach K as a great but flawed leader. I want you to unpack that for us a little bit. What is he like as a coach? And is, is that competitive spirit that you just referenced, is that his secret sauce? I think his ability to lead and motivate through off the charts preparation. And my previous subject was Bill Belichick, my last book. And he's very similar to Belichick in that way where every attention to detail is, is everything to them. And every day in the off season and the preseason in the regular season, and of course in the postseason, is treated like game seven of the world series. And, but the difference is that Belichick doesn't really use emotion in, in motivating his athletes. Krzyzewski does. I mean, he charged into his locker room a couple of times as the Mel Gibson character in Braveheart, William Wallace, one time with a saber, another time with like a flaming arrow and with the lights off in his locker room before a game to motivate his players. That's not something Bill Belichick would ever do. But I think the combination of just relentless preparation and emotion, attention to detail and behind the scenes, one on one, I didn't know this either. Although I wasn't really surprised by this, but I was told by a lot of people when he has you alone, regardless of race, gender, age, financial status, he could, whether you were a Fortune 500 CEO or a teenager from a, from a challenging background, he could make you feel like you're the only other person in the world at that moment when he's talking to you. And I think that's probably something you're born with. And maybe those, that communication skill and leadership skills were honed at West Point, mm-hmm. but uh, he is he is a tremendous communicator and he can connect with almost anyone. And I think that's the secret sauce, really. I think the intensity of his gaze would would make you definitely feel as though you were the only person in the world in that moment. And, and you know, the mo- some of the most successful leaders, presidents, they people will say the same thing about them, that they do have that innate ability to make you feel as though you're the most important person in the world when their gaze is fixed on you. And, you know, we, we've obviously very publicly seen Coach K as a coach, but what is he like as a man, as a husband, a father, a son, a friend? By all accounts, he's a, he's a good husband, a, a really good father. And, and one thing that the players told me they really took from him, some just how to treat women, how to respect them. And I think that's far more important than anything you're going to learn on a basketball court. But he really empowered his wife, Mickey, who was really a co-head coach. And I have to say, in, in 30, 37 years of covering pro and college sports, I never saw a head coach, a male head coach, involve his spouse in decisions more than Mike Krzyzewski did for 42 years at Duke. And frankly, five years before that at West Point, because when he took the Army job in 1975, his wife, Mickey, was concerned about, you're taking me into really a male-dominated environment women cadets were admitted at west point in the 70s so it was changed starting to change a little bit but it was still a male dominated society and she said i want to be everywhere you're going except for the men's locker room Hmm. and he he promised her he promised her that would be the case and he lived up to that promise and he carried that over to duke Mm -hmm. and everywhere he traveled he wanted his family with him he this was a family operation and Mickey, his wife, had a lot to say with all major and minor decisions at Duke. She was very involved. And I really I mean it when I say she was like the co-head coach 
So I think that uh, family was really important to him. That's probably the only thing, frankly, in the world that's more important to him than beating you and winning. And they've been married for over 50 years. And so, you know, they, they've had a, a sustaining marriage and, you know, he's as successful in his marriage as if not more so as he is as a basketball coach. So I find that, you know, I just, I find that very impressive. And, you know, he's only 70. They got married. They got married on his graduation day. I know. I saw, I read yeah. that. I read that. But um, I, I know uh, people are impressed. And I met, my wife always remarks about this after wins and defeats. The first thing he does walking off the floor is he grabs his wife's hand and they walk off together. And, and I, I, I've, I've never seen another coach do that. And I think it was not just his face, but her face, Mickey's face that, that hurt me on Saturday. Um, actually, I, I wanted to have North Carolina in the championship game with us, Kansas, because I didn't want to have to face the emotional impact of, of right. everybody except the Kansas fan base or the North Carolina fan base rooting for Duke because of the emotional, you know, victory that it would be to send coach K out on a national championship. So I wanted North Carolina to, to win. Um, then I ended up regretting that after the game, because I, I just, it just didn't, it just didn't sit right with me, but you actually helped me feel better about the situation. And, you know, he's, he's 75. I mean, that's not old to me. That is, he's got a lot of life left, right? So what's next for him? How's he going to fill the next 20, 25 years of his life? Well, it's very interesting because he doesn't have a tremendous amount of hobbies. He doesn't play golf. He's not a big reader. He used to like to play tennis a lot, but physically, I don't know if he's doing that much anymore. He loves the gardens. He'll, he'll tend to his gardens around his home. He'll do some corporate speaking, but he's keeping his office on the sixth floor at Cameron Indoor Stadium and right above it. And so I think he's going to stay somewhat involved in the basketball program. I think uh, more so than he's led on publicly. And I think there's a reason he's keeping his office. It is his program. He built it. And John Shire is a young 34 year old head coach. And I think Mike will be involved. I think he'll help. He'll offer counsel. He said he wants to be an ambassador to the university at large. Mm -hmm. So, but it's going to be interesting to see how involved he is in that basketball program right now. And I think some of the excerpts from my book knocked him back a little bit because he got involved in the succession plan. And he basically went against the university's preferred choice of Tommy Amaker, the Harvard coach, who's in his mid fifties and, and effectively pushed through his preferred choice, John Shire at age 33, now 34. And so he gets the younger protege in there. How much is Mike going to be influencing his decisions? I think that'll be fascinating to watch. Yeah. I mean, that's a great question, actually. How do you follow coach K and, you know, you don't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, we saw, you know, I saw Roy, of course, I was watching for him and I was watching for what he was wearing on Monday because I was like, Roy, I want you to not wear baby blue because these are, these are both your teams, right? I need you to wear a neutral color. Of course, he didn't, whatever. That's another podcast. But, you know, I wonder how involved Coach K will be, um, even though he's no longer the head coach. It's just impossible to follow him. It is. So I think you don't try. And I think John Shire is a smart guy who will not try to be him or follow him. Just it's a cliche to be yourself, <laughs> but I think right. it, it really does apply here. You know, he did go out and sign the number one recruiting class in the country right out of the gate. So, and one thing that uh, Chris Carowell, who's the associate head coach and, and played for Krzyzewski like Shire did, he told me that, that John can really connect with African-American recruits and families. He's seen, He's seen John build relationships with them. 
And he thought that would be a big part of his credibility and success going forward. So I, I suspect Shia will be successful, but he's not going to be Coach K. And as long as he realizes he's not and, and doesn't try to be, I think he'll do fine. Well, my last question for you is, what will Coach K's legacy be? Maybe it's too soon to tell, but what impact has he had on college basketball as a whole? I think first off, Rachel, I think he's the greatest college basketball coach of all time. I would put him slightly ahead of John. John Wooden. Some people say, well, Wooden won 10 national titles at UCLA and Mike won five at Duke. But it was, it was I don't want to say anything about it. it was easy, but it was easier to do it in Wooden's day than, than in Krzyzewski's time. It was just different. It was different. It was different. Yeah. And so I think the way he adapted is something that I don't know if can be matched when you look at his traditional programs in the 90s, winning national championships with four year players, eventually going to the one and done model. And even even in, in this last NCAA tournament at age 75, he listened to his teenage players. They told him they wanted to he switched to his own defense, which he almost never did in his career. And, and his players at the end of that Texas Tech or Arkansas game wanted to switch back is a Texas Tech game and and he agreed to do that he in 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 real time and a 75 year old icon who's retiring you figure at the end he's going to want to do everything and call all the shots do it his way and in the middle of the game his players asked him to switch back to a man-to-man defense and he did it and he did some things in this final tournament he had never done before like sitting in the locker room for the first five minutes at halftime and just calmly talking to his players. He said, I, I never did that in my career. Mm-hmm. And so he was adjusting and adapting all the time. He adapted to NBA players in the Olympics, coaching them. He realized I can't coach LeBron James and Kobe Bryant the way I coach an 18, 19 year old kid at Duke. So right. I, I think the way he was able to, to adjust to the times, to different generations is, is really, that's his legacy beyond the 1200 plus wins. That's true. I agree. Thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate you. Enjoy the Masters and everyone go grab a copy of Coach K, The Rise and Reign of Mike Krzyzewski, which is out now. Thank you again, Ian. It was my pleasure. Thank you, Rachel. Take care. Man, I love sports, especially college basketball. You've got to get this book. There's so much more in the book that we had nowhere near enough time to cover, like Coach K's relationship with his mentor, Bobby Knight, how his childhood in Chicago shaped him into the man he is today and so much more. So keep I'd Rather Be Reading on your feed, my friends. We'll drop in when you least expect it with only the most compelling of author interviews. Stay tuned.